You know, I, uh, I, I, there's certain um, stories when I see them online, I click on them because I want to read them um, because certain types interest me. And one that always interests me is when they, is when they find like really old cars. Um, I read about how they found one in a building and it's, it's this old car from the 30s and, and it's almost in like, like unused condition. It's been just kind of buried for a long time. And you know, I was thinking about if, if you got a new car and your goal for the new car was that the car would never be in an accident, well, what would you do? Well, you probably would never drive the car. You'd probably just leave it at your house and you would tell people if they want to see your new car, they can drive over and see it. And you know what? You may achieve your goal. You may have that car and it will never be in an accident. But of course, that's a problem because we realize most of us don't buy cars with the purpose that they not be in accidents. And yet sometimes with the church, we want to treat the church like we treat that car. Like we want a church where there's, there's never going to be any problems. There's never going to be any disagreements. If you want a church like that, then what you need to do is you need to keep the church in the garage. Keep the church in the carport. Keep it under lock and key. No problems. The church that's more likely to have disagreements is the church that's doing something. It's the church that's going somewhere. It's the church that's actually trying to live out the faith because living out the faith means we get closer to one another. You see, my friend used to have this saying, and I'm trying not to offend anybody here, but he would say this about girls sometimes. We were boys, so forgive us. He would say, good from far, but far from good. Okay? You could say that about boys, too. And that's how we sometimes are in the church. We're like, good from far. We're good. We're good as long as we keep enough distance. I don't really know what's going on in your life. I don't really know what your strengths and your weaknesses are. I don't really know those things in your life that are still affecting you today that, that you need to deal with, and you don't really know mine. And we can come, and we can think it's good, because it's good from far. The truth is, it's far from good. And when you get closer to one another, and you spend more time with one another, the, the possibilities of disagreements go up exponentially. Problems happen. We get offended. We find out things about people that, that surprise us. And then, on top of that, if your church is, is actually going somewhere and your church is actually trying to do something and your church is, is also getting closer to one another, then what we do is we bring new people and throw them into the mix. Making all kinds of possibilities, all kinds of possibilities for hurt feelings, for conflict. Understand what I'm saying? I believe the church should be a church that is healthy 
And we've talked about what a healthy church is. It's, it's people in the process of growing. They're disciples. They're, they're, they're hungry to know more about what it means to follow God. But they're not just getting knowledge. This, this knowledge is meeting God's spirit who's already in their lives if they're believers. And that, and that is helping them to become more like Christ. But it's not just helping them individually become more like Christ. The healthy church is disciples becoming like Christ together. And in a way, the overall church is the body of Christ and becoming more like Christ. That's a healthy church. And you might think that, shouldn't that then mean that we all get along? No. Understand what I'm saying. The more we are on the path of being healthier, the more the possibilities that we're going to have conflicts. And if we're healthy, the result of the conflict is quite different than if we're unhealthy. Most of you who've been in church for any period of time, if, you know, a couple years or longer, you, you've seen conflict in church. And the reason people want to avoid the conflict is because it almost always leads to people leaving. Let me tell you something. If conflict, if, if, if issues lead to people leaving, what that is saying is that either one or both of these things is true. Either the church was not healthy to begin with, or the person who's leaving was not healthy. Either one of those or both of those is true. And so what do we do as a solution? What we do as a solution is we try to avoid conflict, but we don't address the real problem and the real problem is the church is not healthy. Because if the church is healthy, conflict is actually a good thing. What does this mean? This means that anger, anger is inevitable. It's dangerous. Anger is dangerous, but it's inevitable. Anger is abundant. One of the easiest things to do is to feel angry. But anger is also misunderstood. When I was, um, you know, I grew up in homes that always had electricity, you know, in their homes. And I was often scared when I heard there was, like, homes that had gas going into their homes. Because I'm thinking, like, here's a, a flammable potentially explosive material that's being pumped into your home, right? I know gas is safe, okay? But before I really understood, I used to think like that. Because if I were to tell you that, that you have this thing that's, that's in your home right now, that at any moment could just go off and your house would burst into flames, you would probably say, like, can we get it out? What is it? Would you tell me? But then again, if I tell you it's like gas, that it's actually useful, it's helpful when properly used, you'd be okay with it. I think of anger the same way. Anger in and of itself is not a problem, but anger... Anger in bad situations can become dangerous. 
Just like gas in your home by and of itself isn't a problem. But if your pipes leak, okay, we got an issue. So Jesus is teaching what it means to be in his kingdom, and he's teaching specifically on anger. Now I want you to understand, he is not talking to the general population. Okay? The general population would be wise to listen to Jesus' words and at least try to do them. But he's talking to you. He's talking to the believer. He's talking to the one who says, I have, I have believed in Jesus Christ and my life has been changed. His spirit is within me. He's talking to you. And so this shouldn't be like, it might be new to you, but it shouldn't be like, oh, that's crazy talk. And so he's talking about anger. And it's funny because it's, it's really close to the very beginning of this when he starts giving the details of what it means to follow Christ and to be in the kingdom. Which means it's not a, not a new problem. It's been a problem for a long time and it's something that we have to deal with. So in chapter 5, verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So, we look at this, and some people think, this doesn't really apply to me. You know, we know what angry people look like, and I don't look like that person. This does apply to you. The first thing that seems to be this, that's here, is that everyone, and I mean everyone, will get angry at some point. And Jesus doesn't condemn the fact that you can get angry. But he's warning you at what anger can lead to. If you don't take care of the anger that comes out of these conflicts, it's going to lead to something. And the things that anger leads to, they're never good. And then when it's uncontrolled, when anger is uncontrolled, it will lead to destructive actions and destructive attitudes. So, the first thing that we see this text is, is telling us why Jesus is saying you need to take care of it, and he's linking it to murder. It's because he knows that anger will lead to sin. It, anger left unattended will lead to sin. There's no escaping it. You will get angry. 
you leave that anger unattended, it will lead to sin. Why? Why will it lead to sin? Why can't I just have my, my anger and move on? Well, if we believe that what that song said and what we read last week that Jesus said in John chapter 13, that the world will know, the world will know that we are the disciples of Jesus. The world will know that God sent Jesus to this world to save this world, that this will be known because of the love we have for one another. That's how it will be known. If that's the case, can you tell me how anger is going to help you love one another? My guess is you can't. Not left unattended. Anger is going to create division. It's going to create separation. You're going to see somebody and, and filter how you, how you see what they do in a way totally different if you were not angry with them. I, I sometimes talk about the, the, the difference between love and expressions of love, and I've used this example before, I think, where when I would talk to my college students in class and I would say, like, okay, uh, young women in class, if, a, if a, one of the young men gives you a rose, is it romantic or is it creepy? And, of course, they kind of laugh, and the guys feel like, oh, no, we're about to hear something. And they always say the same thing. It depends on who's giving it to us. Right? They're going to interpret that same act of a rose being given depending on who's giving it to you. I'm going to tell you, when you're angry with someone, it affects how you interpret their actions. Even if they do something incredibly loving to you, you're not necessarily going to interpret it that way. They might want to do something to help you, and you're not going to necessarily interpret it that way. In fact, you're you're likely to interpret it in a negative way. Anger leads to sin. Anger leads to sin because anger left unattended goes from just being angry at what was done to, being, to moving towards where you want to win. And as we've talked about before, if, if, if the world will know that we're his disciples because of our love for one another, our relationship needs to be based on love and not power. And as soon as it comes about winning and losing, you've, you've abandoned love and you've moved to power. I gotta be right. I gotta win. And anger left unattended, that's where it leads. Look how important Jesus thinks this is. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Get the picture here. He's saying, take care of it immediately, no matter the cost. Take care of it immediately, no matter the cost. Because if you leave anger unattended, the longer you leave it unattended, the more damage it will do. The more damage it will do to you, and if that person knows you're angry at them, 
the more damage it'll do to them. The more angry you are before you resolve it, what will happen is you're more likely to tell other people about how, how, how angry you are and how angry that person made you. And you're just going to blab it to everybody and not resolve it. And you spread it. Disciples take care of anger immediately. This is how important it is. It's so important that you even set aside your sacred holy task. He's going to the altar for goodness sakes. And he says, no, don't go to the altar. This is how important it is. Giving something at an altar to say that you're doing this because you worship me, God's saying, no, I don't want your gift at this point. And you might go, well, you're putting words in God's mouth, am I? Wasn't it God who said, obedience is more important than sacrifice? So even if we think we're doing something holy, God says, I don't want it. And the reason I don't want it is because something's wrong with your heart. Because you're holding something that you won't let go. Something's wrong. This is something that's true throughout Scripture, and somehow we miss it. And it's the connection between our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. That from, from the very beginning, from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, those two relationships are tied together. You cannot claim to have a good and right relationship with God, and that doesn't translate to good and right relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a lot of emphasis sometimes in our churches on personal piety. Oh, I, I know God more. Okay, you know God more than you should be. You should be the best at relating to other people. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. And possibly, you're getting closer to God is not really getting closer to God. You're getting closer to an idol, a God you've created. A God who allows you to know wonderful things about him, but then not really love others around you. It's connected. We see it connected in the Ten Commandments. We have the two tablets in the Ten Commandments. You see it connected um, in the prophets. When the prophets are, are um, you know, bringing their prophecy, their word against whether it's Israel or Judah or even the neighboring um, countries, that, that it's always this, basically the same two things. It's, the problem is idolatry, relationship to God, and social injustice, your relationship to one another. They're always tied together. They're not separate. And we find Jesus saying the same thing. Jesus says, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all that you are. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not making this stuff up. It's been in scripture forever. 
if we really want to say we're getting closer to God, it should naturally overflow in that we get closer to one another. You cannot have a greater intimacy with God if it doesn't result in a greater intimacy with the others who are followers of God. If we want to find one of the the, the problems in in the modern church today, and this isn't new, I'm not blaming any generation, this extends back at least 50, maybe 100, maybe 200 years, is that we have made church all about that good from far, but far from good. We keep each other at a safe distance, comfortable distance, familiar, we care, but we don't really know. And we've said, that's church. That's not church. And I don't care how big the church is. I've been in small churches where people are just as distant with each other as people in churches of 20,000. And size doesn't really matter. It's how important it is. If your brother has something against you, by the way, listen to that. Your brother has something against you. Jesus could have said it the other way, and in other places, he does say it the other way. He talks about how if we've been offended. But notice here, this says your brother has something against you. Somebody else has something against you. And then it says, go be reconciled. Notice, that person has something against you, and it might not be true. Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care whether it's true or not. What he cares about is your brother or your sister has something against you. Go deal with it. Don't think that you can come here and I will find your worship acceptable if you don't take care of it. It's why one of the things that I said a few months ago and we are talking about a healthy church and discipleship, that one of the marks of a healthy Christian and a healthy church is how important is reconciliation to you? How quickly do you move to resolve conflict? Even if you don't eventually resolve it, are you at least moving in that direction? Again, Look at how seriously Jesus takes this. That even when you're not the one that was offended, that somebody has something against you, you go to them. You talk to them. Of course, sometimes that's hard because you don't always know. Sometimes it takes time because that person isn't really dealing with their anger the way they should. That's how important it is. And it's the reason we should want to take care of this immediately is because we actually get this connection between the relationships and we realize that unresolved anger will prevent us 
from having a right relationship with God. And if you're a disciple of Christ, if you have faith in him, if you, if you want to, to live for him and do all you can to be worthy of him, the worst possible thing you can think of is to not be in a right relationship with him. And if you have unresolved anger, or if someone else in your church has unresolved anger against you, it will affect your relationship. And you would want to make it right. You would want to do all you can to make it right. It would be difficult to rest to make it right. Not so that you can simply repair the relationship with your brother and sister. Yeah, that's part of it. But because your your relationship with, with God, that relationship is broken. That relationship is affected. When we turn our eyes just to the human relationships, now we can go like, ah, okay, I hardly see her. It's okay. Uh, you know, we'll just let time pass. Because, you know, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't heal all wounds. Anybody who tells you time heals all wounds never had an infected wound. Okay? Never heard the words from the doctor, uh, gangrene. Time does not heal all wounds. But we, we just deal with that relationship. And we might think, that person's okay. It's okay, I don't need to deal with it. Well, if that's not enough, if it's not enough to deal with your brother and sister in Christ, and out of love to want to repair that relationship, you need to know it's connected to your relationship with God. Why immediately? And why in this last part, when he's talking about verse 25, I mean, he gets into verse 25, and he says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Jesus is flying through these metaphors, by the way, um, And he's making big points as he goes. And the big point here is not so much that your accuser is, he's talking literally about someone taking you to court. He's been talking about, you know, what do we do if we are angry with our brothers? What do we do if we are, if, if our brother is angry with us? And he's trying to press upon us the immediacy. And the immediacy is this, that, that the, because the sooner we resolve the conflict, the more likely that, that we're going to find grace in the conflict and not someone seeking justice. He's not saying do it so you can escape punishment. But he's trying to say that our relationships should be marked by grace. And the longer you let anger go unaddressed, the more likely one or both parties is going to seek justice and not grace. You know, we've maybe even thought this and said this sometimes, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. You know, when... They come and, you know, grovel at my feet. 
when they come and ask me for forgiveness, then I'll forgive them. You've got a spirit in there that isn't a spirit of grace. A spirit of grace gives to people that don't deserve what you're giving. A spirit of justice says, I'll forgive when there's proper atonement. Understand what Jesus is trying to say about anger. He's saying, yes, when you're the one who's angry, you need to resolve it. But when your brother or sister is angry with you, he's saying, stop. Stop thinking about how it affects you and think about how it's affecting them. Think that that's your brother and sister in Christ that wants to have a right relationship with God, that seeks to be be in a healthy community and wants to know God's word, and they've got this anger against you, and it's hurting them. If for no other reason, help your hurting brother and sister. That's so hard to do. It's so hard to help somebody who you know is angry at you, especially when you don't think it's justified. It's so hard. We resolve conflict, not just because of what that unresolved conflict and that anger will do to us, but what it's doing to our brother and sister in Christ. And it's not just that, but it's also what's doing to both of our relationships, not just to each other and to the rest of the church, but to God. Well, I told you, one of the things I'm trying to do is give you some some practical things, application, because I think that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is being more and more specific. And he's specifically addressing anger. And so here's some things. And some of these things you're going to say, that sounds like scripture. And some of these things you're going to go like, huh, wonder where that's from. Um, some things about anger. Because I said anger is not just dangerous and it's not just abundant, but it's also misunderstood. So here's the first thing. Not all strong emotion is anger. It's a mistake we make sometimes, especially in Hawaii. Because in Hawaii, you know, we often are kind of more cool and under control and we talk about things and we only start getting louder and everything else when we're angry. And then we interpret other people that way as being angry. But not all strong emotion is anger. Here's the one that's more Hawaii. It's actually not up there. But not all anger is loud. Not all anger is loud. There's a lot of people who live, you know, in Hawaii that are incredibly angry, but they will never show it and they will never say it. It's bad enough in society. It kills churches. Oh, churches stay together. 
They stay together. People keep showing up. They keep showing up. They keep, you know, coming to the different events and all of that. But that church will never be healthy. That church will never be able to go on and, and advance the kingdom and take on the world as long as there's, there's too many people in there who have that silent anger. That silent anger, that unresolved silent anger that's been eating away at them. And maybe they've even come comfortable and they just live with it. But they'll never say it. Not all anger is loud. And especially for some of our younger generations, not all anger is hate. A lot of times anger is, is, is a response about how strongly you feel about something. That you, you, you want it to stop because you think that it's hurting someone. But it's not hate. So how do we deal with anger? How do we deal with anger so that this thing that's inevitable and abundant is not as dangerous? Well, the first thing I think we need to do is we need to, we need to know one another. We need to know one another better. We need to know one another. So if someone comes to you and says, I'm so angry at what this person said, you know that other person so well that you might be able to say, that doesn't sound like them. I wonder what happened. Let's go talk. How many people in this church do you know well enough that you would stake your own relationship with this person who obviously confides in you and considers you a friend, that you would, you would trust them enough, that you would risk your relationship to say, that doesn't sound like them. Why don't we go and talk and find out what happened? Oh, a lot of us like to give advice. When somebody comes to us, we like to give advice. But are you willing to take that position of Christ and be the mediator? The only way we can do that is if we know each other. If you don't really know somebody, you might go, yeah, that's not just like them. And you don't really know. Or if you know somebody, it's not just saying that that doesn't sound like them, but it's like you might actually know, even if you can't share with the person right then, that there's a lot going on in this other person's life that you know about because you know them. You know maybe they're, they're dealing with the stress of, of of maybe their, their, their child is, is, is having you know, some problems at school or, or, they're, or they're on the brink of perhaps losing their job. And you know that. And the reason you know it is because you know them. Maybe you know this, you know, they're, they're more about their background and, and how they were raised and how they communicate. And you can help. You can be a mediator. You can be a facilitator. You can open up possibilities that help cut through misunderstandings. It's not making excuses for people, but it's saying, 
Let's go. Let's go make it better. The second thing, how to deal with anger. Don't move quickly to anger. When my daughters were growing up, that's one thing I used to say. I say, you have to let anger build slowly. You need to be like, you know, a difference of opinion, mildly upset, perhaps perturbed, then maybe you can get to anger. Because, you know, kids, you know, sometimes they're like, Microwave oven, boom, right to, right to anger, as fast as you possibly can. We need to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. We need to think. The more we know people, then the more we don't even have to go tell somebody else and they remind us that doesn't sound like them. We say that doesn't sound like them. And if it doesn't sound like them, there's only a couple of possibilities. One is we didn't understand what they said properly, and so we think about it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand now what that person was trying to say. Or we think, like, I don't know what's going on in their lives. Something might be going on in their lives. I'm going to pray for them. Slow to anger. Don't race towards it. The third thing about how to deal with anger is, is to ask the question, what am I really angry about? Am I angry about what I really know, or am I angry about what I think I know? We talked about this before, that you can get real anger emotion from things that never happened. You can get as angry about speculation as you can about what you actually know. This is one of the reasons Jesus is saying, take care of it right away, take care of it immediately, because the longer you sit, the more you're gonna speculate, the more you're gonna fill in the blanks. And then you're gonna start collecting more evidence because every time you interact with that person, you're gonna just say, see, that's just another example. And this person doesn't even know that you're upset with them sometimes. What are you really angry about? Take some honesty. Take some introspection. And it makes us slow down. You know, I've talked about this before, about how people get, you know, they can can create monsters in their heads about somebody else. We do this all the time when we're, you know, when we're... um, um, you know, looking at politics and, um, you know, celebrities, we form these images. And we think, you know, we fill in the blanks for the rest of their lives. And we can get real emotion based on stuff we don't really know. The fourth thing, ask yourself, is the anger in proportion to the problem. See, the problem with anger is when you get angry, you then think any punishment is okay. You think any punishment is okay. If someone, you know, cuts you off on the freeway, right, you cut you off on the freeway and you get angry at them, it's almost like if they got into an accident, you'd be like, good for you. 
You deserve that accident because they cut you off on the freeway. You think your anger, you don't even think like whether they even intended to do it or not. You just immediately think any punishment is okay. That's, by the way, what's happening in our society today. People will, will you know, justify. They will be happy that certain people are, are punished. That are, you know, I remember when, um, you know, I was, I wasn't yet born when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I wasn't yet born, but I just remember reading about it later on. And I, and I remember reading about how it was, it was like, there was like national mourning. And it didn't matter whether you were Republican or Democrat. It didn't matter if you voted for him or against him. There was national mourning. And I'm sure there was always pockets of people that might have thought, oh, this was okay, but it was, it was different. Our society was different. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think that's true. I think if our last president or our current president were assassinated, that there is a significant portion of our population that would say, good, because they're so angry. What is wrong with that? I get it when the society's that way. But you call yourself a believer in Christ. And you think you are the judge and jury. And you can mete out punishment. The fifth. We need to learn more about situations from people who are not angry. It's important. A lot of times we go and ask other people who are also angry. And then it just feeds itself. You need to find people who aren't angry and talk to them. And the last thing is you need to listen to the other people's perspective, especially the people that you're angry with. And really listen. And ultimately, if you can come to this question, somewhere in the midst of your anger, if you can come to this question and you can seriously ask this question, how can I show God's love to the person I am angry at? It's going to ruin your anger party. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. But as soon as you ask that question, it'll slow you down. The passage that Ernie read earlier gives us some some direction on this because I can only think of three things. Three things that God will tell you to do. If you, when you're in the midst of anger, conflict, and you actually say, God, how can I love this person I'm angry at? Only three things. God will either say, go resolve the problem. Reconcile now. Or he will say, find out how you can help them and help them. Or he will say, bless them. Bless means you pray that God will make them successful. That God will bless them. You know why? That's why we don't want to pray that prayer. 
That's why we want to keep it in our pocket till we've gotten a lot of life out of our anger. And that passage that Ernie says is, don't you worry about wrath. Don't you worry about vengeance. That's God's. That's God's job. You worry about loving and reconciling. You see, there's going to be disagreements. If we do church right, there's going to be disagreements. If we do church right, there's going to be hurt feelings. If we do church right, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be anger. However, anger handled correctly will always result in healthier, stronger relationships. Anger, when it comes up, these conflicts that come up, it's kind of like when the doctor, you go to the doctor and you know, you say, oh, my leg's sore. He's like, is it sore here? Is it sore here? Is it sore here? Is it sore here? Anger puts, you know, points out that area we need to work on. So work on it. It tells us something about our relationships that need to develop. Develop them. It tells us there's something that, that, that's created some distance or friction between, with, between us. Deal with it. Stop living with it. Handle anger correctly. Be a healthier and stronger church. That's my prayer. And I hope it's your prayer too.